So this morning we come to the end of 1 Peter and also to the conclusion of our series, Faith Under Pressure. This morning as I I hear the words at the beginning of chapter 5, my ears kind of perk up for a number of reasons. Uh, One, I think most obviously, it is just so great to hear someone read the scriptures with just a a wonderfully exotic accent like Wallace's. Thank you, Wallace, for reading for us this morning. Just incredible, and praying also. But also, there's a couple other reasons. One is that uh, Peter is identifying himself as an elder, someone who has experienced a lot as an apostle of Jesus. He was there with Jesus from the very beginning. He went through the whole, the whole thing during Jesus' ministry. I want to learn from him. I think we would do well to pay attention to our elders, people who have experienced a lot of life. But there's another reason this catches my attention today. He's also speaking to elders here. As an elder, speaking to elders. So these words are spoken to me. More and more, with each passing day, week, month, and year, all passing with ever seemingly ever-increasing speed, which I'm told is a sign that you're getting old, that time speeds up. This is a message for me as an elder. That's actually probably more for me than anyone else in the room because I am the oldest teaching elder here in this, in this church. Actually, he's actually serving. Um, I think I have one elder teaching elder sitting right over there. But, <laughs> but this is, you know, this is I am the old elder. And so this is for me. Oddly appropriate that the recurring theme in this passage is for those of us who might mistakenly think that because we have arrived at a certain age with a certain level of responsibility and authority and power that we have actually arrived. In fact, what Peter is suggesting in the close of this letter is that if we think that we have arrived in the sense of inappropriate pride, then actually we have a long, long way to go. So the recurring theme here, you've already been hearing it this morning from the time with children, which was beautifully expressed this morning. Onward, the recurring theme is humility. Peter talks about it in a number of ways in this chapter. First, In verse 3, there's a warning to be careful that if you have care, if you've been given responsibility, to not lord it over those in your care. And then in verse 5, Peter says to clothe yourselves with humility, choosing a word that is used when servants put on an apron, which I am going to do right now. This is my favorite apron. It was given to me by one of my daughters. Because it has Starbucks on it. I love Starbucks. 
is a visible reminder for me, mostly for me, for all of us, I guess, today, but probably more for me than the rest of us, what this is really all about. So more about this in a minute. Then verse six, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now there's a comparison here, and I believe this is important. On one side, there's the mighty hand of God. On the other hand, yourself. In other words, no matter how well many of us think or are tempted to think we're doing, it's only in relationship to God's mighty hand that we can truly see ourselves for who we really are. I always think about the fishing boat. You know that day that Jesus went out on the fishing boat with the disciples and they caught a huge catch of fish and Peter falls down in the bottom of the boat and says, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. He had a vision suddenly of who he was compared to who Jesus was. And he fell into the belly of that boat in humility. So humility. I want to say something today. It's an admission. Knowing that I was going to preach on humility this Sunday has caused me a fair amount of fear. <laughs> you know why? Because it never fails that when I find myself teaching on a subject like humility or patience, or suffering, that God seems to always allow me to put what I'm preparing to say into practice. It either happens right before I'm going to preach, or right after something I'm teaching about, it ends up being more for me than anyone else. And so I've kind of been waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know where that saying comes from, the other shoe to drop? I actually looked it up this week because I was curious about it. In the tenement houses in New York City, when the, the floors were really thin and you could hear the people upstairs really well, at night when someone was changing, they would take off their shoe and drop it on the floor and then you would wait for the other shoe to drop because there was always one and then another. But I've been kind of bracing myself this week, waiting for the other shoe to drop, hoping that it won't be too painful, because I'm going to learn something about humility. But by even suggesting this, I also realize that it gives into the temptation to see humility as in the same light as a related experience, humiliation, which is not necessarily what Peter is recommending here. Humiliation has to do with shame and embarrassment. While humility has to do with the freedom from pride and arrogance. There's a difference. Peter's talking about this freedom. And he's recommending humility as a positive quality. And it really is. I mean, Richard Foster in his book, Freedom from Simplicity, talks about humility as having a gentleness about it that is delightful. Humility. 
There's an unpretentiousness and true humility that all people appreciate, he says. If you've been around truly humble folks, you've seen this. And you just want to be with them, don't you? Truly humble people. What is it about truly humble people? Well, it's that they're comfortable. They're comfortable with stuff like this. This having, wearing something that is not necessarily becoming. But when you put on an apron, you're doing something for someone else, aren't you? They're at their best when they're serving others. And it seems to me that this is a major key element in understanding about humility. I mean, let's face it. Humility is confusing. Brenda was absolutely right. It's one of those qualities you can't really pursue because if you try to pursue humility, it only seems to become more distant. When you begin to think you have humility, it's likely at that moment in reality that you don't. <laughs> no, the way toward humility, or perhaps better expressed, the door to humility is marked obedience. Thomas Kelly put it this way, humility rests upon a holy blindness. Like the blindness of him who looks steadily into the sun. For wherever he turns his eyes on earth, there he only sees the sun. That looking steadily to the sun actually is the desire to look upon Christ and to obey what he has to say, to take on the mind of Christ, as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2, Christ, who did not grasp for equality with God, but rather emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, and then became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Basically, if you want to understand humility, look closely at Jesus. Follow him closely. Seek to be like him. Jesus has been described in many ways, but the one that speaks to me is this, that he was the most completely others-centered person who ever walked the earth. When I look at him this way and then I look at myself, I begin to see how far I have yet to go to understand humility. To be others-centered is to begin by being others-conscious, which is impossible to do when you are mostly self-conscious. And something that has been brought home to me repeatedly in the last several weeks and months is how self-conscious I tend to be. Madeline Lingle in her book, A Circle of Quiet, says that the Greeks had a word for this. The word is hubris. 
several Greek tragedies that are built on this, the, the uh, story of Oedipus, Achilles, the sense of putting oneself at the center of the universe is hubris. Lingle reminds her readers that total self-consciousness invariably leads to self-annihilation. It will do you in, in the end. And so this connection between self-consciousness and pride is a bit troubling, actually, for me. Because it's one of the things I know about myself that I really do not enjoy things like wearing aprons on Sunday morning. Speaking of Brenda, actually, she can tell you it's very difficult to get me to put a costume on. <laughs> I, I just don't like dressing up and doing, doing things like that. It's just one of my, I guess, I guess it's one of my hang-ups. But it's because I'm so self-conscious. And sensitive to how people see me. And, you know, I find myself in sneaky and supposedly kind of self-effacing ways, trying to present myself in the best light possible. You know what I'm talking about here? I'm especially aware of it when I gather with those, those people who do what I do for a living. Pastors. And there's a kind of game that is played among pastors when pastors get together. I don't know if you've ever witnessed it. I hope you don't ever have to witness this. It's weird. It is just weird. And I'm, I'm really good at it. And I hate to admit this, but it used to be more straightforward. The way I remember it 25 years ago or so, questions were asked such as, you get together with a group of pastors and they say, so how many are running in worship these days? I mean, what a weird question. How many are you running in worship? It's as if people come into your church and run around. No, how many, you, how many people are coming to your church? I mean, and the answer you want to answer is, oh, yeah, I got like three or four services, you know, five, six, seven hundred thousand people. <laughs> this is what you'd like to say. The question is basically, how big is your church, pastor? <laughs> well, today it's actually asked in less straightforward ways, but pastors still do this when they get together. I just had a lunch a couple of weeks ago. We we're talking about our, our mission, you know, and oh yeah, our mission is, you know, we're doing this and that now. Oh, we're doing this thing over here in Africa, and you know, we, that's what we talk about now. But it all comes down to how big is your church, I found myself answering something kind of snarky. <laughs> well, you know, we've got this one guy who's six seven. <laughs> I basically described Duard King to them, you know, so I don't have to talk about it. But even then, see what I'm doing there? Even then, I'm saying I'm above that. I, you know, you, you see, I'm so self-conscious. <laughs> I don't really want to talk about how big my church is because I don't, that's not important to me. <laughs> Pride is so tricky. I'm telling you, it is so tricky. So what can I do about this? How, how, can, I, how, can, how can we put on humility? How can we walk through that door marked humility? 
How can we avoid the game? I think there's part of the answer in this, this prayer I found this week. It's from a, a book called The Little Book of Prayers by our Mother Superior who wishes to remain anonymous. I love that. Listen to this prayer. Lord, thou knowest better than I know myself that I am growing older and will someday be old. Keep me from getting talkative. And particularly from the fatal habit of thinking I must say something on every subject on every occasion. Release me from craving to try to straighten out everybody's affairs. Keep my mind free from the recital of endless details. Give me wings to get to the point. I ask for grace enough to listen to the tales of others' pains. Help me to endure them with patience. But seal my lips on my own aches and pains. They are increasing and my love of rehearsing them is becoming sweeter as the days go by. <laughs> Teach me the glorious lesson that occasionally it's possible that I may be mistaken. Keep me reasonably sweet. I do not want to be a saint. Some of them are so hard to live with. But a sour old woman is one of the crowning works of the devil. Make me thoughtful, but not moody. Helpful, but not bossy. There it is. With my vast store of wisdom, it seems a pity not to use it all, but thou knowest, Lord, that I want a few friends at the end. <laughs> so, helpful but not bossy. There it is. That's, that speaks to me. Folks, I believe Peter is saying here at the end of his book, He's saying to stop trying to run after humility as if you could earn it. Rather, put on an apron of service in obedience to Jesus. Seek to be like him and do what he did. Serve. The first step of which is to notice the needs of those around you. then serve. It's the best way to stop thinking about yourself and how you appear to others. And at the end of the day, you may find yourself wearing an apron and humble. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father,